uh, thank you for coming to this service, which is very different from most of our services at New Spring, because tonight we're going very reflective. Tomorrow we start celebrating, so expect it to be loud and rambunctious tomorrow when you come. Um, we have five weekend services, and we want to invite you to one of those. They start tomorrow afternoon at 3.30, again at 5 o'clock, 6.30, Sunday morning at 9.15, at 9 o'clock, 9.30, and 11.15. <laughs> I'm here all the time. I can't remember when they start. <laughs> For those of you who might be new to New Spring, uh, I should tell you that we are finishing up a series of talks that I've been giving for the last eight or nine weeks called Red Letters, and you probably can imagine what the series is about. Many of us have Bibles in which there are a number of words in red letters, and those words are the words that were spoken by Jesus, and they're set aside for us. All of the Bible is the Word of God, but wouldn't you agree there is something special about reading the words of Jesus? And, you know, when you, when you think about red letters, it means something that's set aside. If it's a red letter day, it's a big day, and the words of Jesus are huge. Tonight, though, I, I've set my course to just share with you seven statements that Jesus made, and all seven of these statements were what Jesus said on the cross. As far as we know, these are the only words that Jesus said. Perhaps He said more. If so, they were not recorded. But it is, it's just awesome to read what Jesus had to say. Again, I want to appeal to the message that I gave last weekend here at New Spring because I talked about crucifixion and how painful and how difficult it was. The challenge with crucifixion was getting your breath. Because if your, if your hands were nailed to a cross, your body would sink, your head would sink down into the chest cavity, and you would have to fight for every breath of air. You would have to pull against the nails that held your hands and push against the nail that held your feet for every breath of air. Jesus would do this for six hours from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. And Bible scholars tell us that it was very hard to breathe, but it was almost impossible to speak. It was very difficult because you, you only can speak when you're exhaling, and exhaling, of course, would be very difficult on the cross. So Jesus must have spoken these words through unimaginable difficulty. I'll let you use your imagination to the extent that you can to think about Jesus' suffering on the cross for your sins and my sins, and to consider that God Himself, God in flesh, thought these seven things were important enough for you and I to remember. And so on this night, some nearly 2,000 years later, on a Good Friday, we celebrate the words of our Savior. I would begin with what Jesus said in Matthew 27, verse 46. About the ninth hour, that would be about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus knew something that no human being had ever known or will ever know again, and that is a human being who desires God's company and God refuses that company. Our God loves to be with us. He loves to, what we would say, fellowship or to share things in common with us. But ladies and gentlemen, none of us knows the depth and the closeness of the relationship that God the Father and God the Son have. One of the, one of the biggest questions I've been asked in years of pastoring is to explain the Trinity. And there's no way that I can. I, the problem that we have with explaining the Trinity is we are created beings and we try to understand God through the prism or through the filter of our own understanding, but we must remember we are the ones who are created. He is the creator. What we do know, the Bible says there is one God but three persons. And this is manifested as early as Genesis chapter 1 when God is in creation and He said, let us make human beings in our image. 
There are three parts to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three personalities. Please don't ask me to explain it, or please don't tell me that you understand it, because I know I can't and you don't. So <laughs> somebody's always wanting to tell me. It's like water. You know, water is one, one thing, but it has three manifestations. No, God is not like water, nor is he like the egg. <laughs> God is God. It is impossible to imagine how close the Father and the Son were because they had been in perfect harmony from eternity past. How difficult it must have been for the Father to say goodbye to His Son as Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to our earth that night in Bethlehem's manger to be born. But now it is very different because God, listen to this, must now treat His Son like an enemy. God must treat His Son as if he were worse than Adolf Hitler, God must treat his son as though he is worse than Osama bin Laden. God must treat his son like he is worse than the worst person you know. Because at this moment, he is bearing all the sins of the world. God is a God of infinite love. We so often say God is a God of love, and that is factual. You can go as far in love as you wish, and you will find God, but God is also a God of infinite justice. We quote that so rarely. You go as far as you can go in justice, and you will find God. God sweeps nothing under the rug. Sin must be punished. And in order to not punish you and me for our sins, God must punish someone innocent. And of course, the only innocent one is the Son of God. When Tiffany read the Scripture from Isaiah 53 a few moments ago, you, you read with her that part where the Bible says God has made His soul an offering for sin. And in this moment, and in, I think it is the, the moment on the cross when finally all the sin of the world is placed on Jesus. And pressed into the compendium of this moment is all the world's sin, all the world's guilt, all the world's shame, all the world's hatred is manifested in Jesus. Jesus is carrying it. And in this moment, the Father wheels on the Son, and Jesus not only feels the pain of the nails and the thorns in his brow and his back that has been opened by the cat of nine tails, Jesus feels the steam of being rejected by his Father. And no wonder he cries from the gut, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am honest with myself enough that I sometimes wonder, how could God love me? You know, we try to convince other people that we're pretty good, but the fact of the matter is, if you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, you'd get up and move, <laughs> as crowded as we are. And if the person sitting next to you knew everything about you, he or she would get up and move. All joking aside. We know. Hey, let's not try to kid anybody about us being okay. I did a series called Freaking Messed Up, and that's where we are. God rejected his son so that he would never have to reject us. For all that we've done wrong, with all of our dysfunction and all of our failure, we can never be rejected. God rejected Jesus so that he could accept us. 
So the next time you see these words as you read the Bible, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is asking a question that he knows the answer to. He wants us to explore that answer. He wants us to know that he was rejected on the cross so that we would never be rejected. In Luke 23, verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I'm sure the Roman soldiers had heard the crucified say a lot of things. They had never heard this before. They had been cursed. They had been hated. They had heard the screams, but never had they heard, Father, forgive them. Well, we could say, what was it that caused Jesus to be placed on the cross? And the answer, of course, we've already said that it was the Father's plan. But it was not the Father's plan in a vacuum. (laughs) It was not like before the world was created, God said, what I want to do is punish my son. I assure you, that was the last thing God wanted to do. See, in between a perfect world and a father punishing his son on the cross is your sin and my sin. The nails that went into his hands or there because of our sin, the thorns in his brow, the stripes on his back, the spit in his face, the beard that was plucked out. I love the story of a man who said one night he had a dream, and in his dream he saw Jesus being nailed to a cross, and a burly Roman soldier was driving the spikes with the hammer and the nail, and he was so angry that somebody would treat his Lord that way. As the hammer swung back, the man in his dream reached forward and grasped the wrist before the hammer could come down, and he pulled the wrist around, and when he did, he said, I stared into my own face. And if you and I feel the weight of our sin causing Jesus suffering as it did, isn't it good to know that Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? Well, the one that makes me the most emotional is Luke 23. It is the story of the fact that Jesus was not crucified by himself. He was crucified, as we saw in Isaiah 53, among the rebels, the Bible says, There were thieves on either side of him, most likely insurrectionists, men who had stolen, pilfered, perhaps tried to start riots, maybe even committed murder. And they were suffering the death of crucifixion. And the Bible seems to indicate that at first both thieves insulted Jesus with whatever breath they could muster. But something happened in the heart of one of the thieves on the cross. And in verse 40, the other criminal rebuked the first, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Look at these red letters. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. We're talking here about a man who did not deserve to go to heaven. Well, there's not a human being who deserves to go to heaven other than Jesus. But boy, are we talking about a guy who does not deserve to go. By his own admission, he is suffering the, the cruelest form of execution known to humankind. And he says he has it coming. And yet, in a moment, 
of understanding, he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, all he says is, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Week in and week out, I stand at New Spring in four services every weekend and I tell our congregation what I believe to be and what I know to be the truth from God's word. God is looking for a yes from you. He is looking for understanding. He's looking for you to get it, that Jesus died in your place, that you can't save yourself no matter how good you try to live, that it's not your church, that it's not your catechism or your baptism or, or, or the giving money or all the other stuff, that, none of that. It is that Jesus died in your place. And what God wants you to do is to get it. And then at that moment, just as a bride or groom stands at the altar and says, I will take this man or I will take this woman, God is looking for you to look at the Son of God, Jesus, and say, yes, I will have this man to be my king. Yes. It isn't a matter of finding the combination lock, that, 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 that prayer of perfect words that somehow gets God to put your name into heaven, heaven's roll book. No, it's nothing like that. It's just yes. And this thief, he didn't know how to pray. He'd probably never been to a synagogue in his life. All he knew to say was, Lord, remember me. Remember me. What a prayer. Remember me. Don't let me be forgotten. Isn't that what we fear? I mean, because death is going to come to all of us. Don't let the sands of time pass over me. Don't let me perish. Remember me. And the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise. Statement four, John 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to his mother, dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. A very special lady. Mary was human, just like you and me. She wasn't anything that you and I are not. Other than the fact that she was a very honorable and a very obedient and woman filled with faith. Even as a teenager, Mary was filled with faith. From the moment when the angel came to her and said that she would bear the Christ child, Mary had that special secret in her heart and life, and indeed she did bear the Christ child. She was the only virgin to give birth. Someone would say that was biologically impossible, to which I would say that is exactly the point. <laughs> Jesus is not like anybody else. Someone would say, well, how could it be that a, per, a human being could come into the world without a human father? The first human beings came into our world without either a human father or human mother. But Mary, of course, is very special. She was a godly, faithful young woman. You remember, perhaps, that when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated, that there were a couple of very elderly but very wise, godly people, Simeon and Anna, and they prophesied, and they prophesied that a sword would pierce Mary's heart. This is the day that it would happen. Because Mary must now stand at the foot of the cross and watch her 33-year-old son, whom she knows to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of glory. She is watching him brutalized. But even in this moment, our Lord cares for his mother, and he gives her to John's safekeeping. I don't want to take this very far, but I would notice that Jesus asked John to take care of Mary, not Mary to take care of John. In John chapter 19, verse 28, 
later knowing that all was now completed and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I don't know that I understand crucifixion as well as I should, but I understand that if a person hung in, on the cross, they would lose much of their body fluid. Blood, of course, we know that Jesus' blood was shed. And in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus was born, as David prophesied about the coming of Jesus, he talked about the tongue of Jesus sticking to the roof of his mouth. I wonder how many of us feel, I used to remember my mother reading the story to me from John when I was a little boy, and I thought to myself, how I wish I could have been there. I could have, wish I could have been there to take him something to drink. As far as I know, Jesus only said, he only asked for a drink twice in his life that we have recorded. Once was by a well in Sychar, where a woman whose life had been messed and ruined up by, messed up and ruined by bad choices. She'd been married five times, divorced five times, sleeping with a man who was not her husband. You remember that Jesus met her by a well, and he asked that he might have something to drink. And here once again he said, I am thirsty. As the poet wrote, he became thirsty so he could give us the water of life. I will not dwell too long on the sixth statement because I preached a whole sermon on it last weekend. But in John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the drink, he said, it is finished. I would just repeat one thing that I said last week. Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He had come on a rescue mission. He had come to be the Savior of the world. He had come to pay for our sins on the cross. He had come, the innocent Son of God, the only one who was ever innocent, came to hang on a cross to shed, as Peter says, his precious blood. And when he finished paying for sin, Jesus died on his own terms like no one before or since ever would. Finally, Jesus said, it is finished. And what I love about that is he did not, this was not the pathetic, whimpering, cry of a defeated man. This is the cry of a victorious warrior. He said in Greek, it's just one word in Greek, tetelestai. It is like the final brushstroke has been placed on the masterpiece. Jesus said, I have done what I came to do. It is finished. And let no one try to add to that. Let no one try to add his or her religion, his church, his baptism, and for sure not our good works, which the Bible says our good works, even at their best, are like filthy rags. The only way any of us can get into heaven is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Like the old poet said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I have nothing to bring in my hands. It is all of what Jesus did for me. Jesus paid it all, as we sang, all to him I owe. It is finished. It is settled. If you were to meet me after the service and say, Mark, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? I'd say, absolutely. And you might say, well, you're an arrogant cuss. <laughs> no. I have many faults, but I'm not arrogant. I know I'm going to heaven because the price has been finished. It's been paid. Here's what the Bible says. God the Father would see the travail of his son on the cross, and would be satisfied. If you have a debt 
and it's satisfied, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's been paid. It's been stamped paid in full. And so it is. When Jesus died on the cross and cried out, it is finished, our debt was paid in full. And then finally, this seventh statement from Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And now, a shameless appeal to get you to come back for Easter. (laughs) We are closing out red letters with Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life. The day will come for all of us, and it has already come for some we love very much, when we will leave this body. Now, we will not stop living. Oh, I'll talk about that tomorrow. You're going to find out. If you come back tomorrow, you're going to find out you're never going to die or Sunday. But here's the great thing. When Jesus got ready to die, he just yielded up the person that he was and put it into the hands of the Father. When you and I die, if we die in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, when the moment comes for our death, we will simply yield our spirit over into the hands of God the Father. I, um, I saw my parents here, my mother here a little while ago. There are two living siblings in my family. My sister Betty, who's 12 years older than I. But between Betty and I, there is a brother named Roger. I never got to meet Roger. Roger died at the age of four. He contracted brain cancer. He died before my birth. But I have been to that cemetery in Hill Country of Texas many times. It's one of those old country cemeteries that has a little wooden arbor. And in order to get to the cemetery, I mean this honestly, you have to drive through a creek. So many times I've been to the little Mount Zion Cemetery in Bertram, Texas, and I've seen that grave of the brother I've never met and will meet someday. But my mother placed on that headstone the title of a song that gave her great comfort in those days. If you were to go out to that stone, it would simply say Roger W. Hoover, the date of his birth in 1949, the date of his death in 1953, and then below that, safe in the arms of Jesus. If you invite Jesus into your life, not even death can separate you from God because the day will come when you will simply yield your spirit over to the Father just as our Lord did and showed us how to do. He is the resurrection and the life. May God bless you and thank you for coming tonight. Would you join me, please, in a prayer of thanksgiving? Our Father in God, what can we say to satisfactorily honor the gift that you have given through your son Jesus, that he was destroyed physically, brutalized, so that we could be made whole, rejected so that we could be accepted, thirsty so we could drink the water of life, rejected so that we could be accepted in the family of God all free 
Oh, God, free. How awesome you are. We love you tonight. And in our hearts, we kneel at Calvary's cross, even though we can't go back in time, as if we could tonight. We kneel at the cross, the cross stained with the blood of our Savior, and we say thank you. We honor you, and we worship you, and we celebrate you. Without you, we're nothing. In Jesus' name I pray.